Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and tax collector. Scott, we got another conversation on the parables here today. Um, before we jump in to that, though, I've got a question for you because we haven't talked about it for a while. But how are the Cubs doing? Are are they going to win the division? Do you think? How are the Cubs doing? They are a game and a half uh, in first pl- ahead of the Cardinals and are in the Brewers, and the Cubs won last night in the bottom of the ninth with a heroic victory. <laughs> so the Cubs are in first place. So, but I will have to say that it's not last year. No, they're struggling. They're inconsistent. Uh, but I think they have a chance. Uh, I think they have a really good chance to win the division. And if they win the division and get in the playoffs, anything can happen in the playoffs. Yeah, we know that from last year, right? Uh-huh. All right. Well, that's always something fun to talk about. So, uh, but, we- but I will say this. Until October, the Cubs, till the end of October, the Cubs are the reigning World Series champions. That's true. Yeah, sure is. So, all right. Who do we have joining us today? And uh, what is it we're talking about? We have... Um, a bright young student, uh, public school teacher, Bethany Hughes, who is going to talk with us about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And um, I want to begin by saying a little bit about what our class is working on, and then we'll turn it over a little bit to Bethany. So many pastors and teachers talked about parables as if all this great scholarship on parables uh, had been totally ignored And so I I thought I would have this class of New Testament students focus on the parables of Jesus. And I had a big idea that the parables of Jesus teach us or exhort us, and they do it by the way they're formed, to imagine a world different than the world in which we live. To imagine a world like this is how Jesus depicts the parables. So I asked the students to work in pairs, some of whom worked in pairs and some of them have worked alone. Some of them originally were in pairs and the pairs kind of fell apart. But um, Bethany came in a little bit later in the program and so she's working on a parable with me, but I basically let her do all the work. And that is that we're working on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And one of the things about our Master of Arts in New Testament at Northern Seminary is this cohort experience, and we we gather together next week, and I can say that I've never seen a group of students on a Facebook page uh, say so many times they can't wait to get together and see one another, and as a professor, I'm both excited and a little nervous that I'm not sure I'm going to be able to have any time to teach. I think for three hours, all these students are going to want to do is talk to one another and share with one another what's going on, so it's become a great experience at the cohort level. And part of it is this um, working together on projects like the parables. And so Bethany chose the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's a marvelous parable. It's kind of a stereotypical parable, but at the same time, it teaches us so much. And so, Bethany, I would like to see, uh, ask you if you could share a, a couple of the major 
uh, insights or major points of learning that you found as you worked on this parable? Wow, well, there were so many. Um, I would say the first one would be that it wasn't just about um, the heart of the Pharisee or the heart of the tax collector. I think a lot of times we can read this parable and walk away with just focusing on that and not really getting to um, the meat of what Jesus was trying to say, which was really showing God's heart, showing God's response to them and his heart you know, towards pride and his heart towards humility. Um, so that was one of the big things for me that was just kind of revealed in studying it. Um, the other part, too, for me was something you had mentioned when we first talked about this parable, which was the wrinkle that's in the parable. Um, mm-hmm. Very much that we can read the parable and kind of often sigh with relief thinking, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this Pharisee. And by doing so, we actually become the Pharisee, too. Um, so <laughs> that's that so was, true. Yeah, it's that so was a true. big one for me. Um, and I think the other thing, too, that really hit me with this was just seeing how as you go through the parable and seeing the ending where the Lord um, lifts up the, the tax collector in his humility, how much it really does align with what we see in Philippians 2, where that was the life of Jesus. You know, he humbled himself and the God's response at the end of that passage in Philippians was that the Lord exalted him um, to the highest place. So those are some of the things that really stuck out to me when I first was digging into this a little bit. It's a really good connection, Bethany, for you to connect this parable in in um, Luke chapter 18 with Philippians chapter 2 because it demonstrates the the importance of reading the Bible as a canon rather than just individual texts uh, because that pattern of Christ is exactly the pattern of the person who told this parable. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just that, well, the Bible's connected in a really cool ways. It's that the person who told that parable lived that existence, and that's precisely what is, was taught in the parable. I think that's a good observation. Bethany, one of the interesting points that you make, um, I really like your point that this is about the heart of God. And it is often uh, a temptation for us to turn everything in the Bible to something about us or to turn it into ethics or something that we have to do. But uh, a true reading of Scripture becomes theocentric, and that is it becomes God-oriented or Christocentric or pneumocentric. We want to be Trinitarians here. And what I see in this parable that is often, and I think that you have brought this to the surface in ways that, I, frankly, I haven't seen others, so I'm, I'm grateful for what you've accomplished here, and that is this parable uh, has what what, uh, readers call or what uh, literary specialists call an omniscient uh, writer. Mm -hmm. An omniscient writer uh, speaks as if the writer knows the truth. Well, in this case, it is Jesus speaking a parable, and Luke is the one who is telling us, and there's an omniscience on the part of Jesus in telling this parable. And that omniscience is God's perspective, a divine perspective on this incident where we find this Pharisee going to the temple, which is a great thing. And Jesus, of course, starts in a wonderfully stereotypical Jewish story way. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the crowd is already ooing and on, going, oh, boy, he's going to get him here. And the Pharisee stood himself, 
stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this here tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I think Jesus wants us to see, and, and as he told the story, I think he would want us to hear that this is the guy who's going to be pounced on in this story. Although he could have told it more calmly, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, and then only later uh, does he pounce on him. But in describing the Pharisee this way, Jesus has omniscience, and it's a divine omniscience of examining this man's life. And in examining this man's life, this Pharisee, Jesus sees one thing, and examining the tax collector, he sees something else. And uh, Bethany, I wonder if you want to say anything more about this when you talk about the heart of God, Is I and I'm connecting it to uh, the omniscient writer or the omniscient uh, author, um, in this case, Jesus. Uh, I wonder if you have, if you want to say anything more about what God sees and what God's heart is like in this situation. Mm. Um, well, I think it's, I think it's very clear that He doesn't see the way that we see, which I, right. you know, I think is huge. And um, yeah, I, I, I do feel like it shows that you know God is merciful and just. I think that it shows His response shows that He is with the lowly of heart. He is with the humble of heart. Um, yep. Yeah. And and even that you know he's listening when when they come before him he hears not only what they're saying but he 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 hears the heart like you said he he looks into the heart yeah. and um very different than how we see people you know or or how we hear people as well I think we I think we think we see people's hearts at times mm -hmm. and uh, we can be seriously mistaken because we don't have omniscience but I, I really think your point here is is important is that this parable, while it is easy to focus on the Pharisee and sit in judgment on him, mm -hmm. and easy to focus on the tax collector and clap our hands for him, uh, we may be missing the point that this is a divine evaluation in which we see the heart of God, and God approves people who come before him and tell the truth about themselves mm -hmm. and recognize the truth about themselves. Instead of trying to justify themselves, which is exactly how Jesus describes uh, the Pharisee. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. So this man right. is justifying himself and exalting himself, whereas the other man doesn't. So we, we see a God who, who wants people who tell the truth about themselves. And we see this every day on the news, and uh, I've, I've seen this recently in, a, in some major theological conversations, debates, polemics, where people have changed their mind, but they won't admit that they changed their mind. They all of a sudden have a revised story. Uh, oh, well, I've kind of always believed this, but I'm now bringing it out with more emphasis. Hooey. I mean, I've, I've read your stuff and I know you've changed your mind and it's okay to admit that you were wrong because we are all fallible and we do change our mind and we learn and we grow and somebody somebody writes a new book i was i was just this morning looking at john barclay's book paul and his gift because i'm working on an essay on the new perspective and i thought to myself john barclay showed new testament scholars that they were pervasively 
inadequate in their understanding of grace. And I've, I've talked about this with a couple people and they said, well, I've always kind of thought that. And I thought to myself, you know, I've read your books and I know you haven't said anything like this. John Barclay has proven us all wrong and it's good for us to admit it and say, John, thanks. You did a great job. Um, and, and this is, this is what Jesus is exalting here. The person who stands before God and tells the truth. Mm -hmm. Bethany, in your paper, uh, which I think was a really fine paper, you talk about contrasts. I wonder if if you have those accessible and that you could share those with our audience. Do you remember the contrast you made uh, yes. between, um, mm -hmm. between the Pharisee and tax? I wonder if you could bring those out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have the table, the ones from the table yeah, that we had done. Yeah. In the, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in the paper I had included a table that just kind of compared the contrast with the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, some of them may be more obvious than others, but um, the Pharisee, you know, had a high social and religious status, and he got his identity, it seems, from that and from trying to just um, please the Lord with following all the laws and being very devout. The tax collector is on the other end of the spectrum, very low social status, um, not seen highly by people in the community because of his role and his job. Um, mm -hmm. The Pharisee himself, you know, comparing himself to to others kind of gave him pride. He, was a, he would look at the, the tax collector and the Pharisee would get puffed up. This Pharisee would get puffed up. Like, well, at least I'm not as you know, sinful as this other man. Where mm -hmm. uh, I was really impressed with the tax collector who, he didn't do that. He didn't even look at the Pharisee who was standing there praying. You know, he wasn't comparing himself to him. He was standing before the Lord and... That's all he saw was just comparing himself to God and recognizing his own status, which was nothing. You know, coming and just leaning on the Lord's mercy it, when he came to him in prayer. Right, um, right. Those were two of the big ones. Well, go ahead. Give us the, the others. I think our listeners are there are intrigued. <laughs> okay. Um, the Pharisee misinterpreting his status in God's eyes, you know, not understanding what really pleased the Lord. And he, him coming before the Lord thinking... But his, his to-do list, his spiritual accomplishments, his religious accomplishments were what would please God, where the mm -hmm. tax collector um, was just, had, had nothing to bring of a, of a to-do list or a resume. You mm -hmm. know, just recognizing I, I just really need the Lord's mercy. Um, the Pharisee also focusing on the law, and not that that was necessarily a bad thing. He was, you know, I, I'm sure that in his understanding, that was the way to please the Lord, was to really show obedience to the law excessively. Um, mm -hmm. and the tax collector instead was just focusing really on God and just trying to come before the Lord and be, become right before the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to think what else. Let's see. Um, the Pharisee exalting himself before the Lord instead of lowering himself, the tax collector bringing, coming in no pride, just lowering himself, not even looking up to the Lord, not even being able to raise his head to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, the Pharisee lacking understanding of what really pleased God compared to the tax collector who at least partially understood it and recognized that he failed. You know, he failed in really pleasing the Lord. Yeah. Um, do I keep going or, or do you want me to stop? Yes, <laughs> no, this is good. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Pharisee also misunderstanding the, misunderstanding the character of God and his understanding of when the Lord looks down at him 
you know, what, what does God see and what's going to really um, please the Lord's heart. And yeah. the tax collector knew that, knew that God knew God's heart, knew at least that God was merciful because in the um, tax collector's prayer, he asked the Lord for mercy. He was pleading for that part of God's character. So he obviously understood that God was a merciful God, that God would show him mercy if he came mm-hmm. before him and asked him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pharisee too, I think it's interesting with his um, focus on following the laws that he missed, the, the, at least in this story, this Pharisee missed the greatest one, which was love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus really came and taught that when you, you know, following the law, the greatest greatest of commands, commandments are these, you know, and one of them was to love your neighbor as yourself. And we see here the Pharisee trying at, to follow all of the other laws closely to please the Lord, but missed one of the biggest ones, you know, fulfill, fulfilling the law, which was to be able to look at that tax collector next to him in the same eyes of, as the Lord and really um, loving him and meeting his need, you know, reaching mm-hmm. out and meeting the need of the poor or the sinner instead of maybe placing judgment and then feeling possible because of the difference in their status. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the last two that I had on here was that the Pharisee had no fear before God of um, maybe his own, but his own, um, his lack of self-worth before the Lord, because he was so confident in his accomplishments Mm -hmm. where the tax collector came before the Lord and had such a reverence, just recognizing the, the the holiness of God compared to his own his own life, and then the last one that we see, which I think is just what Jesus was leading us to in this parable, all, all of these contrasts being shown to get to the end, which was well, how does God respond? And God corrected the Pharisee, but He commended the tax collector. And I I just think that when Jesus finished that story, what shock value there must have been to all of those listeners who were expecting the opposite. Yes. Bethany, that well, was a the, fantastic list. Man, I, I think that really brought a lot of clarity to the parable. I know for me, and the thing that kept coming back to my mind was a quote from Brennan Manning that I think sums up a lot of it so well, that God loves us as we are, not as we should be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I, I like to add to that, that in God loving us as we are, it leads us to where we should be. But so much of the time we flip that, you know, like the Pharisee and we, you know, we should all over ourselves. I should be doing this in life. I should be better. I I should be, you know, at a better place in, in this type of thing. And the truth is that I think as illustrated in this parable and you've clarified for us is that God's heart, his passion, and the way he sees us is he loves us as we are. And and in him loving us in that way, that leads us to where we should be, not the other way around like the Pharisee tries. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, um, Bethany, one of the secrets to a parable, and this is characteristic of rabbinic parables in the Jewish world, it's characteristic of Aesop's fables. It's characteristic of all of these short stories in the ancient world. And that is they operate with stereotypes. Um, we live in a world where sometimes we think stereotypes are politically incorrect or dangerous, and they can be. But I think of, I think of one of my favorite short story writers, Flannery O'Connor, who constantly uses broad, bold, crazy uh, Baroque type, uh, Gothic type, whatever words you want to use here, stereotypes of people 
in order to uh, put before a reader uh, a, a graphic image that will communicate the truth that she wants to talk about or the story that she has to tell. And I think uh, your illustration here is not uh, your 10 points. I thought they were fantastic, Bethany. Uh, your 10 points in some ways are, are, are milking the stereotype that Jesus uses to bring out. It's not an insensitivity to Judaism or to Pharisees who could be good and, or, you know, who could be wonderful people and who were very sensitive to Jesus and others who weren't. Jesus chooses to use a stereotype here, and it is our responsibility to let the stereotype work and work in such a way that it comes to us. So there are surely were Pharisees who weren't obsessed with their status and their pride and who understood God and who, when they obeyed the law, saw it as loving God and therefore were responsive to people in their neighborhood. But that's not who Jesus is talking about here. And there is a reason why he does this. And I've often, I've often pointed to this parable and I've preached on this parable a number of times use pretty much the same sermon, that when Jesus tells this parable, at the end of the parable, it is so common for you and me to say, man, I am so glad I am not like that Pharisee. And that is precisely the point, uh, precisely the reason Jesus told that parable. Because if we come away saying, I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee, we have become the object of the parable rather than um, the message that Jesus is trying to communicate. We have become the Pharisee. And in that sense, this parable is brilliant because while, while we can stand back and clap and say, I am so glad Jesus gave it to the Pharisees and the poor and those who were hurt by the Pharisees may very well have been the ones clapping. Jesus makes it pretty clear in the parable that those who sit in judgment on others and compare themselves to others, that's a very good point that you've made in this, uh, in your interpretation. Uh, those who sit around and judge and compare themselves to others and therefore feel better about themselves are precisely the ones Jesus is most concerned about and the ones he told this parable about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I also thought that you're bringing out that this man, this Pharisee missed the, what I call the Jesus creed of loving God and loving others is that he thought he was loving God, but he clearly wasn't loving others. At least he didn't have any mercy on the tax collector. Is is another very good point about the the sort of social dynamic involved in the story, the way Jesus tells it. So, well, I I went off on a little bit of rant, and I wanna I wanna give room for Bethany to say any more that she needs to say about this parable. No, I I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. I thought it was great. I um. I can say on my own tangent, very short tangent, would be that when I was working on this and just sharing the story of where I work and a lot of the um, a lot of the stereotypes that go on at the school that I teach at, just thinking on this this whole concept of reading this parable and the the tendency to then walk away like you're saying, thinking, hey, thank goodness I'm not the Pharisee. That's that's my own struggle, you know, working in a place where there are a lot of stereotypes that cause a lot of violence and division. For, the, for me then to walk away and not hold stereotypes against that culture or, or someone of that ethnicity thinking, okay, well, you know, 
I've seen this, which means that all, all people of that ethnicity are going to be a certain way and really, you know, just wrestling with that, just like this parable is about not, not letting that happen to us. You know, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about what happened in Charlottesville, Chaz and and Bethany and the way uh, everybody has responded. um, And it's become almost impossible uh, to talk about this situation uh, without getting yourself in trouble and saying something stupid. So a lot of people just are, are backing off. But how many people, how many people sat around and said, boy, am I glad I'm not a white nationalist Yeah. or mm-hmm. I'm not a white racist. Yes. And mm-hmm. they sit in judgment on the white racist. Mm-hmm. Well, the question is not, um, are the white racists wrong? They are. And the white nationalism is wrong. Um, no matter how you explain it and the social origins of it, and it's real and it's a problem in our society that needs to be dealt with. Um, each of us, especially people who are privileged and white in the United States, people who uh, do not routinely uh, integrate themselves with African Americans in the United States or Latin Americans or Asian Americans who are often neglected in this conversation, how many of us? have such hidden racism in us that it has become, that it is what uh, sociologists say that it's invisible and that our privilege is invisible. Mm -hmm. So that I I heard so much damnation and condemnation and I kept thinking to myself, well, yes, um, I'm glad you're being an activist, but folks, uh, we also have to rid the racism in our heart while we oppose those who are more overtly racist. So it's not simply the overtly racist that are racist, is that we have a racist systemic problem in the United States that we need to deal with. And as I watched this, um, I applauded the people who had the courage to resist these sorts of, pro, uh, these sorts of white nationalist parading of, of their ideologies. I, I do wonder if the best way to respond to it is total ignoring, keeping them out of the media, and um, going to another place and advocating for racial integration. But at the same time, I noticed uh, such an air of superiority uh, that was so much the what Jesus was concerned about. Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this man. Right. Right. Uh, that that concerns me, and I thought this parable mm-hmm. I think it comes into play in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tremendously challenging. I mean, it it kind of never lets any of us on the hook, off the hook, rather. That's right. Uh, exactly. On in any situation, because like you said, we yeah. always have something internally that we have to deal with first. If there's ever going to be progress, if there's ever going to be change, and if it, and if we're ever going to get closer to to God's will, we've got to look in the man in the mirror first. Yeah, yeah. Bethany, yeah. and it Bethany, does bring you, us back to. Oh, yeah. yeah Bethany, yes. you, you teach at a school that is far more integrated than a lot of public schools. Is that correct? Yes, quite a bit. Yeah, it's about, yeah, um, yeah it's 80 percent Hispanic and about 10 percent African-American, 10 percent white. Yes. Very low, low, low economic status. So there's just a lot of, you know, yeah, a lot of tension there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you in a sense, you live in the world where the problem exists. Yes, very much. Very good. Very good. Mm-hmm. Well, Bethany, do you have um, 
Do you have other insights for us about this parable, things that you think need to be said that haven't been said? I'm not sure if there's anything that hasn't been said as much as just bringing it back to, you know, who are we looking at? Are we, are, where, where are we getting our identity and who are we looking at? Are we looking at yeah. others? Are we looking at our to-do list? Or are we really standing before the Lord and bringing our heart before the Lord and, and letting that be the reflection and that be the mirror? You know, and I know that's what you, you were getting at as well is, yeah. it's really, when we stand before the Lord, we stand alone. We're not, we have no one to our right or to our left to compare ourselves to, to feel good or bad about ourselves. We have no resume that crumbles away. We have no to-do list to make us feel good in the Lord's presence or, or not. We, we just have our heart before God and standing on his mercy, knowing he is merciful, knowing he is just. And like we said at the beginning, just standing on what the gospel writers and what you know, Paul could stand on that Jesus, Jesus's life ended up showing the fulfillment of what he taught. So when yeah, Paul yeah. wrote Philippians 2, he could write with full confidence knowing that God will exalt the humble because Jesus' life proved that and his resurrection proved that. And we have that to stand on. Yeah, and, and you're right there is that uh, we stand alone, but we stand alone seeing the heart of God and that heart of God, as you've emphasized in your reading of this parable, that heart of God is merciful, gracious, and kind if we will just be, in a sense, if we will just be honest with ourselves before this merciful God. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful, guys. You brought out so many great things. Any other closing thoughts to send our listeners away with? Well, Chaz, I'll close by, by simply saying, I think that this parable, though it's, it's not all that long, is a powerful indictment of about every posture we end up taking in this world. So what looks like a fun parable that Jesus just pounds on, you know, the religious elite, which, which is true. Mm -hmm. Um, the moment that we experience schadenfreude or the moment we experience the joy in somebody else's defeat, Mm -hmm. we have become the problem itself. And so I, I am grateful to Jesus for the parable because the parable is a constant reminder and humiliating device that unmasks our own privileges and our own superiorities in ways that uh, will unfold in the church as the church has learned and continues to learn and has much to learn about embracing those who are unlike us and people that we don't like. So... Uh, I want to I want to thank Bethany for um, a very good conversation and for a, a wonderful experience of interpreting this parable. Thanks for joining us, Bethany. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Great, and thank you, our listeners, once again for joining us. As always, always an honor to have you join us every week, and we hope we hope it's a value to you as, as you maybe, especially like today, get challenged on a few things um, to look at your own life and and process how it is that God's calling you to live. And um, again, thankful for you joining us, and we look forward to joining you again next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 